Thanks for joining us on our C3 Edinburgh podcast. We really hope this message inspires and encourages you in your life with Jesus. To find out more about our welcoming and vibrant church community, please check us out online at www.c3edinburgh.com or find us on Instagram or Facebook. Keep in touch and be part of the story. Now enough from me, you've come to hear the podcast and be blessed. I'm just going to pray super quick. God, your word is a double-edged sword and that means it cuts both ways. So this morning, give me grace and sensitivity to wield the message that you've given me to preach. Amen. And the reason I pray that is because we are diving deep today. Uh, This is not a trigger warning as such, but um, we're talking about making bigger people in this series. The the thing will come up at some point and say, making big people. You don't make big people without healing them. And uh, so specifically this morning, I feel like I've been given a message to speak on overcoming things that would seek to stop us from getting going deeper into our relationship with God. So that means going into some pretty deep stuff, into areas of hurt, areas of disappointment, um, and specifically into times when God is silent. Uh, Matthew 15, 21 to... We're looking at the whole Matthew 20... Uh, Matthew 15, 21 to 28, but just this first bit first, because that's a good way to start. Um, Matthew 15, 21 to 23 says this, And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came to him and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer a word. I don't know about you, but I find it really easy to engage with God when things are going well, when, when things are exciting, when there's a bit of hype, and much easier to, to push myself into, uh, into deeper territory because I, have, I feel like I have a rock to launch myself off of. I feel like I have something sturdy from which to take a step. But who's ever had a prayer that they haven't had an answer to? Who's ever had urgent prayer with no response? Who has felt like in the past that they've been praying up to a brick wall? And who knows the, the unease and the fear and the doubt and the disappointment that brings? See, uh, Jemima mentioned before when Eve failed in the Garden of Eden, but Eve wasn't alone in her failure. Adam was silent when he should have said, hey, Eve, don't do that. That's bad. Because God had told Adam not to eat from the tree. We don't know if he told Eve or not. Adam's job in that instance was to say, hey, Eve, stop. But he was silent. And that silence, I believe, has had a spiritual, like there's a, there's a spiritual inheritance of that moment running down through generations of humanity whereby as soon as we... We, we know subconsciously the impact that that had. And so when God is silent, it's doubly worse because what, what, if, what if now we do the wrong thing and make everything so much worse than it already is? Now I know about, I know about silence 
from God. I know about God's seeming absence. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through some things here. We're going to go deep, as I said. This is not me looking for sympathy. This is me just letting you know that I know. So about six months ago, I was diagnosed with depression. But I've had it for much longer than that. I've, I've had it for probably 18 months before I went to the GP. Um, and it's probably not the first time in my life that I've, I've been through this particular run around the track. Imposter syndrome, I don't know if, if many of you know what that is, but imposter syndrome is where in the back of your mind there is a voice telling you that actually you are a fraud and eventually you are going to be found out for all of your failings and that, that thing's got some claws, man, I tell you. Um, and I prayed to God about this. I said, look, this is, this is a chemical imbalance in my brain that just needs a switch flicked and it'll go. And it's not happened. I don't know why that prayer's not been answered. I, ever, since I left, ever since I left home, which is Melbourne, and, and moved to Sydney, moved to London, moved to Edinburgh, I've dreamed of having a dog again because I, I grew up with dogs. And a couple of years ago, Abby and I got a, go a dog, a golden retriever named Rufus, um, and we, we dreamed of being able to go on long walks in the Scottish wilderness with, with this dog and, uh, and being able to go for runs and stuff and getting really fit. Uh, but he's got a heart condition. And as much as it's dumb to pray for a dog, we prayed for this dog that he'd get better. And nothing's happened. It took us... We've got Maddie now. And she's been an amazing, amazing blessing in our lives. Having Maddie has taught me so much about what fatherhood actually is and how impatient I actually am. <laughs> and I don't, I'm not going to go into the, into the depths of this uh, because Abby's actually doing her testimony in a couple of weeks and she hasn't decided if she's going to go into all the detail of this yet. Uh, but it took us five years to have Maddie. We were trying to have a baby for five years. And there was one night in particular that we stayed up praying all night, crying out to God, for him to move in a situation, and he didn't, and that stung so deeply. My father passed away when I was 19, just out of the blue, all of a sudden, and I prayed to God for weeks and months to try and figure out how I could, how I could uh, equalize this difference between God, my father, my generous, loving king, and my dad's died for no reason. So I know. I know what it is. And by all means, I've not gone through the worst things that people can go through. I have not suffered some of the more horrible things that human beings can inflict on each other. But I felt the sting and the impact of unanswered prayer. As I say, this is, this is not for sympathy. This is to say, I've lived through God's silence. I know the doubt that comes with it. I know the emptiness that comes with it. I've felt it keenly. And so I very much feel equipped to talk about this passage because this woman who has come to Jesus crying out for the deliverance of her daughter is met with silence. And this is a much worse spot 
than anything. I, I honestly believe this is a much worse spot that she's in than anything that I've been through. But her response to this can teach us everything that we need to know about meeting with a seemingly silent God. Uh, Verse 23 to 25 says this. His disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is calling out after us. He answered her, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. Now, there are loads of reasons. There are a heap of reasons why when we met with silence, we stop. As I've said, fear, doubt, uh, we, we give God a chance and then we immediately fall back on self-reliance. Uh, we engage in this kind of idea of false humility where, okay, you're, you're too busy for me and my concerns. I'll, I'll just go over here and, and concentrate on something else and we can, we can deal with this later. And sometimes it's, it's quicker just for me to do it myself. But she doesn't go to any of these places. She also doesn't let the voices of the disciples drown her out. She don't, and this is, this is key, right? She does not go up to Jesus and say, hey, hey, you're doing this wrong. There are three points in this story where she could have given up and she doesn't. Now, God doesn't always work the way that we think that he should. This should not be a shock to any of us. He does not always do what we think that he should do or say what we think that he should say. But our response to him, our response to God in those times where he's not working the way that we think that, we, that he should, that is a measurement of our faith and our trust in him. When this woman kneels in front of Jesus, and this is, this is so significant because it's, it's symbolic of, of so much of our walk. In kneeling before Jesus, she's submitting to him, but she's also arresting her movement. So up until that point, she can walk away. Up until that point, she can give up. But he says, no, I, I've not come for you. This, I, know, I know I'm in your neck of the woods, but, but I'm not here for you. And she comes and she kneels down before him and says, Lord, help me. Now, she asked twice for help. The first time she's met with silence, the second time she's on her knees in front of him. So what's the difference between the first and the second time? Let me tell you a story. I went to Bible college. For those of you who don't know what Bible college is, it's, it is what it sounds like it is. Um, yeah, the, the, clue, the clue is just right there, right there. You don't have to dig very far. Um, but I, I went to Bible college in 2005. Um, yep, yep, so a bunch of you were four. How many of you were four in 2005? Yeah, yeah. Great. Made me feel real good. <laughs> um, now, I mentioned my, my father passed away uh, when I was 19. That was, that was in 2004, about six months before I moved up to Sydney to study at, at C3 College. Um, and I needed healing from that. 
I, I was, I didn't know at the time, but I was still pretty broken up. Um, but what I found when I got there was that, because I went to, I went to study worship. Uh, I went to, went to study music and worship and like song production and all of that stuff. Um, and what I found when I got there was that I could pretty much coast by on what I knew and I could pretty much coast by on my talents. Um, so what that meant was instead of dealing with stuff properly, instead of engaging properly with my classes uh, and, and what was going on there, I was just being a big fish in a slightly bigger pond than I had been in my previous church. Uh, I was also working at the church. Uh, there, was, there was a kind of admin job to do with the worship team. Uh, so I did that f- four days a week, and I studied there, and I went to church there. So I ended up being at church uh, about seven days a week, which is a lot, especially when you're not engaging with God, because I wasn't. I Doing things in my own strength was easier than growing and was easier than dealing with the stuff that I needed to deal with. And so in order to, in order to do things in my own strength, that's self-reliance and it's also self-righteousness. And if I'm making myself righteous, God is not making me really, truly righteous. And so as inevitably happens when you do things in your own strength, I got tired. I got burnt the flip out. It got to the point where after doing, like, after being there when I had to be there, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday sometimes, come Sunday, I didn't want to go. And so I I disengaged from the opportunity to meet with God's presence. And then I wondered why I wasn't hearing anything. I wondered why I wasn't feeling anything. And that led to offense. I got offended with God. I I was saying to him, look, you are not doing what you should be doing. I'm right here. I'm hurting. Help me. But I'm doing this as well. No, no, no. Don't come in here. And I made terrible decisions as a result of that offense. Um, In fact, this is is bad, but it's kind of funny. Um, (laughs) We had a course that was called Prayer and Faith. And it was like a semester-long course, so like this is a decent chunk of of my my year's grade. And we were supposed to keep a prayer journal. And I was not in a good mood on the day that they told us we were supposed to do that, and so I didn't. And it got to it got to like a couple of days before that was due, and I realised it was worth sixty percent of the course. And so I made up a semester's worth of praying. Um, <laughs> And like, yeah, no, God's, I've, I, I kind of tracked through because I'm good at narrative uh, that there was a relationship, the friendship that I was trying to restore for having moved away and got to the end. I was like, yeah, no, I'm just looking back. God's really restored this friendship. It's amazing. <laughs> entirely, entirely false. Um, but it got, it got so bad. It got so it got so rough that I, I remember this really clearly. Um, I, I was bereft. This is like, so term, the school year starts in February. This is November. So this is nine months of me, of me tracking down this, this path. And it got so bad and I felt so broken that I just, 
I just ended up in, in my little room in the share house, I just ended up crying out to God. Not from my mind, not from my hurt, not from my pain, but from, from the depths of my heart and my soul. I said, God, I don't know what I'm doing wrong, but I need you to help me. And I remember, this is, this is weird, but I, I remember immediately feeling like I needed to throw up. I, I remember immediately like rushing to the toilet and just retching. And I, I think something spiritual broke off me then, because as soon as soon as I, as soon as that was done, I felt the presence of God hit me, and I knew I needed to get down to church. There was a Saturday night service, and there was like maybe like this is this is in an auditorium of probably twelve hundred seats at the time. There was like two hundred people there, and I felt during the message as I was sitting there that I needed to rededicate my life to God. I needed to respond to the altar call. And they said, like, look, I need, I need salvation because clearly whatever I've been doing for the last almost a year has not been working. And so I stuck up my hand and I was the only person. I am working for church, I am studying at the Bible college, and now I'm responding to an altar call. There, were, there was no small amount of discussion among some of the church leadership about the fact that someone who worked for the church and studied at the Bible college was getting saved at a church service. Um, but I didn't care. I knew it's what I needed to do. I knew that, that that step is the one I had to take to turn around and get back towards where I was going in the first place. Now, we, we need to get in our heads that disappointment will come. We need to get in our heads that this, like, from, from the moment you choose Jesus, it is not all rainbows and butterflies. From the moment you choose Jesus, it is war. Now, the war's been won, but that doesn't stop the enemy taking pot shots at us. We have Job. We have Jeremiah, we have Lamentations, we have Ecclesiastes, we have the Psalms. That's nearly 10% of the Bible that spends a decent chunk of all of those books telling us that it's going to go wrong. And so we need, to, we need to come to terms with the fact that we will be disappointed. And that's not to, that's not to say we give up on hope. but it means that we don't put our hope in everything going right. It took, a, it took a year, longer probably, for me to realize that God cannot be wrong and God cannot be bad. He is only good and he is only right. And so the only option for me in that Sunday service, uh, Saturday night service, was for me to wind in my neck and submit to his rightness and submit to his goodness, ignoring every contrary thought that I've been listening to for the rest of the year. Relying on myself got me nowhere that I want to go again. Now, it's frustrating to argue with someone who is right all the time. Right? 
Because even if we get the last word, even if we get the last word, we're still going to be wrong. And that damages our pride, which is good because our pride needs to be damaged. Our pride needs to be made to kneel before him, which means that we need to take it on faith that he was and is who he says that he is. In Luke 4, it references Isaiah chapter 61, and this is who, this is who Jesus is. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that the captives will be released and the prisoners will be freed. Revelation 21 verse 4 says that he wipes away our tears. Jeremiah 31 verse 3 says that he turns our mourning into dancing and our sorrow into joy. Not only that, Matthew 5 verse 4 says that when we are mourning, he will comfort us. Because Isaiah 9 verse 6 says that he is our comforter. And Psalm 40 says, I waited patiently for the Lord. And he turned and heard my cry and he lifted me up out of the miry clay and he set my feet upon the rock. I had to learn, I had to lean on what I knew about God's character and God's personhood and allow that to tell me the truth of my situation. Not only that, but I need to listen to what he says about me as well because depression makes you feel pretty worthless sometimes. But contrary to that, he says that I'm loved. He says I'm worth dying for. He says that the rules that underpin the universe are worth rewriting for my sake because that's what the cross does. Now, this woman, I wish she had a name, honestly, because I, I'm writing my notes up this week and going, this woman, this woman, this woman, this woman. Give me a name, Susan, something. This woman chose to kneel before Jesus and Jesus alone, choosing to believe in what she'd learned about this holy man because she knew who he was. Verse 21 or 22, she says, Son of David, Lord, Son of David. So she's heard about him. She's heard about the works that he's doing around the place. And now she's come here to her. And she is not going to be dissuaded so easily. And persistence, persistence is how we carry on in our journey. She ignores the disciples telling her to go away. She ignores the voices in her head disappointed about the silence that she has received not allowing those things to take over her decision-making, and that is the lesson that we have to learn every day. Matthew 11, verse 12, and Alan referred to this uh, a few weeks ago. It says, The kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and violent men lay hold of it. And what that means is, the kingdom of heaven, in the same way that Jesus says, suffer the little children to come to me, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. And so what that means is our approach to the things of God needs to be one of violent pursuit. That's how we lay hold of them. That's how we get them. Which means that we don't throw away the crumbs. 
Matthew 15, verse 26 to 28 says, And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said, and Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was instantly healed. Now, this woman has two problems in a cultural context. She's a Canaanite Gentile asking a Jew for something, and she is a woman asking a man for something, which automatically means that she is at least two rungs down the ladder from being on an equal footing with Jesus. For her to ask for something from him, that's a big deal. <laughs> it is. But we need to give us some context because Jesus isn't as being as harsh as we think he is on that read. The word dog there does not mean mongrel, scoundrel, scavenger thing. It's closer to pet or puppy. So there's some affection attached to it. What Jesus is saying in that moment is, look, I'm called to the children of Israel. Even if I was adopting you, even if I was to bring you in, you'd be coming in as something lesser. You'd be never an equal. And I can't share with you as richly as I can share with them. And she says, fine, yes, give me anything. I will take those crumbs and I will make a meal out of them. That's what it is to be poor in spirit, which is what Jesus talks about in the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And that flies in the face of our pride. But Psalm 84 verse 10 says, It is better, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than live in the tents of the wicked. Or maybe like this, better is one crumb from your table than a feast somewhere else. It is so important that we accept the crumbs from God that we receive, even if we feel like we deserve more, because he is giving us crumbs. They come from him. That means they are right. That means they are good, because he can only be good, and he can only be right. So like what Miles was saying before. Mom, there's no food in the fridge. Oh, actually, well, actually, there is. Just what are you willing to pick up? Now, I'm basically running out of time, but there is one thing about this passage that you need to know because it's hidden, because the secret to finding this out, I had to look in the least read book of the Bible uh, to find this, and that's the book of maps at the back. Um, in verse 21, it says, Jesus left there and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now, there is on the Sea of Galilee. Can I have that picture up, actually? This will, this will help. This is a visual aid. So, do you see there, it says... Genesaret, on the uh, kind of the northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee. 
The big blue thing there. The text is a little bit small, so you just have to take my word for it. Up there on the coast, just kind of to the, to the right of where it says Mediterranean Sea, that little dot there, that's Tyre. The one above that is Sidon. That is a long walk. Do you know what Jesus does in the region of Tyre and Sidon? He does this. He does this one thing. Right? He was never going there for anything else. He was never going for any other reason than to see this woman. So why, why does he treat her so strangely? Why does he, why does he act so weirdly when, when in previous instances he's all too happy to heal? It's for us. It's for us because he knew that this, was, this story was going to be told. He knew thousands of years down the track that there were going to be people facing moments of silence who didn't know what to do. So this is it. If he's silent, persist. If he says no, kneel. And if he gives you a crumb, take it and cherish it. Now, for some people, you might find it easy to find a crumb of God's presence in worship. Do you know what that means? That means clear your Spotify playlists. That means don't listen to the radio. Who listens to the radio anymore? But if you find God in worship more easily than anywhere else and you're going through a drought, plug into worship. If you find it in listening to preaching or podcasts, then listen to that. If you find it in fellowship, then be at every single church service. If you find it serving, then serve, but don't let yourself burn out and do it in your own strength. But whatever it is, wherever you find those crumbs, pick them up. Because Matthew 6.33 says this, Seek first. Seek first the kingdom of God, and then all of these things will be added unto you. I have gone through droughts and deserts in my walk, in my faith, and I've come out the other side because of this. I am stronger today, not weaker, for having gone through those trials. I am, I am in a better place now than I have ever been, and that's with two years of depression because he is faithful and because I know that even in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. No weapon formed against me is going to prosper. And that's what it is to have a shield of faith. Actually, there is one tiny thing I'm going to mention very quickly because it's not... This isn't, this isn't quite the only thing that he does in the region of Tyre and Sidon. Uh, it doesn't say this in Matthew, but in Mark chapter 7, it mentions that after this moment, Jesus travels north to Sidon. And he heals a deaf guy. Heals a guy who can't hear. As if to prove a point. As if to just drive this home a little bit. 
because these two stories are connected. These are the only things that he does in this region. He responds to a woman after a period of silence and he heals a man who cannot hear. And then he goes back to the Sea of Galilee. Round trip, that's about 100 kilometers, about 60 miles on foot to see these two people. So never doubt that he will not go the distance for you. In fact, if you are in a place where you know that he should be, stop there. Kneel and take what you receive. Let's pray. Everyone close their eyes. I'm just going to create a moment of privacy. God, we choose you this morning. We choose to be hungry. As Nath has mentioned already so many times this morning, we will seek you and we will find you when we seek you with all of our hearts. And so, Lord, if our hearts hold disappointment, we let it go. If our hearts hold resentment, we let it go. If our hearts hold offense, then we let it go. Because you are good. You are everything that you say that you are. And where our pride or our experience would choose to, would choose to build walls up against you. Because you haven't been what we think that you should have been, God. We... We take those walls down, brick by brick if we have to. We take those walls down because what could be better than you? If there's anyone here this morning who has never met this Jesus, if there's anyone here this morning who uh, needs healing, or wants prayer for some of the issues or others that I touched on before, or if you want help getting those kind of mental barriers down, then I want to pray for you. But specifically this morning, if you want to make a declaration in front of this this fellowship and in front of the Spirit of God who is here with us today to... Dedicate yourself to picking up the crumbs where before you may have left them because you think you deserve more. Can I ask you to stand? As a, as a symbol that you are going to allow hunger for God to be a, a driving force in your life, can I ask you to stand? we are not enough in ourselves half the time we don't know what we're doing if we're honest but he does he knows the plan that he has for us he knows our purpose and so if you if you want to give yourself over to that for 2020 and beyond I want to encourage you to stand and make this a moment mark this time because he is worthy of it. And we don't deserve anything that he gives us, if we're honest. It's only by grace that we receive anything good from our Father. And if that means crumbs, then I will happily sweep up those crumbs. Lord God, you see these people standing before you in your presence. 
I pray that you would give them opportunities to be spiritually poor, to realize the, the poverty of their souls and that only you can fill that. So God, give us, give us the opportunity to receive those crumbs from your table, those scraps, and let us rejoice to receive them.